This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Today, more than ever, U.S. federal departments must ensure the security and reliability of their systems and information technology. In many ways, this also involves transforming how these departments deliver and consume information and technology services. The U.S. Department of Justice is one of those many federal agencies working to modernize its IT infrastructure to meet the demands of today. What are the key IT priorities of the U.S. Department of Justice? How is DOJ going from IT modernization to its transformation? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Joe Klemovich, Deputy Assistant Attorney General and Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Justice. Joe, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Michael. Very glad to be here. Also joining our conversation from IBM is CeCe DeCamp. CC, welcome. Thank you. So, Joe, what is the mission of your office, and how is it organized, and how do you support the overall mission of the U.S. Department of Justice? Well, before I uh, talk about my uh, specific office, uh, maybe just a little bit of uh, framing for the overall DOJ mission. DOJ is a very broad and varied organization of over 40 uh, components. Broadly, our high-level missions are to enforce the laws of the country, defend the interests of the United States according to the law, ensure public safety against threats, foreign and domestic, and prevent and control uh, crime. As CIO, for you know, my mission is to provide high-quality and secure information and technology services that enable the mission of the of the department. The broad DOJ mission uh, requires specific IT tools and services as well as shared enterprise uh, IT. The office is uh, comprised of uh, four staffs, service delivery staff, cybersecurity staff, policy and planning, uh, essentially our portfolio management, and service engineering staff. So that's that's what the office uh, looks like. And for you uh, personally, what are your specific uh, duties and responsibilities there as the chief information officer? Uh, specifically, uh, a couple areas. Uh, one is overseeing DOJ's IT resources, IT portfolio, and that's uh, roughly about 10% of our overall budget, maybe $3 billion uh, annually. So we've got to oversee that and make sure that we're getting the value from that investment. Uh, I've got to deliver IT services to senior leadership, uh, senior management offices, and uh, provide enterprise services uh, to DOJ. I've got to protect DOJ's information and information systems from data loss or unauthorized uh, access. I've got to engineer, develop, and, and broker new enterprise IT services, and those can come from a lot of different places. I'm also the lead for all geospatial activities in the department, radio uh, frequency spectrum use, interagency law enforcement uh, information sharing. 
So, you know, with that portfolio and with your critical mission, what are your top, say, three management challenges or so that you face and how have you sought to address those challenges? I think it's pretty easy. It's uh, cybersecurity, <laughs> cybersecurity, modernization, and the workforce. Uh, so much of it comes down to your to your workforce, as you're you're alluding to. I'd say cybersecurity is probably the number one challenge. As everybody knows, I mean, cyber attacks are increasing in aggression, sophistication, bypassing traditional security tools, and I'm focused on on enhancing and and strengthening our security posture to defend against these attacks. We have very sensitive uh, law enforcement and national security and uh, operations, missions, and so on, and and that we're a target. And um, so we've got to help maintain uh, the, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of our, our systems. The next area is really modernization of our legacy systems, and we've been really focused on that for a number of years. Legacy systems are that are built with antiquated code, contain inherent vulnerabilities, they increase the attack surface, and we want to make sure that we're um, modernizing to the extent possible to not only enhance our, our cyber posture, but also reduce our operating costs and enhance our, our general capabilities. Last area I'd say is recruiting, retaining uh, highly qualified uh, IT uh, personnel. We have to work within uh, the federal hiring process, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes you have hiring freezes, and, and, and you know we have gaps from a competitive pay perspective with the private sector. There's going to be difficulties in locating individuals with the right skills. One area that we're really focusing on is training our, our existing workforce, making sure they have the access to the best training and doing everything possible to keep their skills um, current. And that's those would probably be the three big areas. So uh, what what has surprised you most during your tenure at Justice? Uh, one of the things I ask about when I, when I interview for the job is, are the people committed to the mission, are passionate? Because I'd worked most of my career with uh, scientists and so on. And and uh, we said, no, they're extremely passionate. And, and that, I got to say, the, the passion, the commitment, the dedication of everybody in the department is just unbelievable. Um, we have a very hard job, but it's, so, it's such a pleasure coming to work every day with people that are you know, really driven by the mission. And uh, that makes it so much easier. But uh, they're very passionate about uh, what they do. How do you lead? What are the characteristics uh, of an effective leader, Joe, given, um, and what are some of your principles that you follow? So there are many ways to define leadership. My, my definition of leadership is, is getting people to follow you when a positive outcome is not certain. And I think one of the things you, you've got to do is you've got to be a visible communicator. I always like to tell people that uh, you can't lead by sitting behind your desk and um, hoping somebody reads your email. So you've got to get out there. And somebody told me a long time ago, and I have no idea whether this is true or not, but you actually got to communicate the same message seven different uh, channels, through seven different channels, before people actually take it seriously. Uh, if you just send out an email and think that they actually, they might have read it, but, but they're not going to believe it, they've got to hear it from a couple of different perspectives. you got to have laser focus on a consistent set of priorities, passion about your job, um, and then the last thing is choose your battles carefully. I, again, I don't have a lot of specifics on this, but um, I've heard that uh, in the Revolutionary War, there were only nine major real battles, um, and uh, George Washington uh, lost six of the nine, but he won the right three. It's it's important to figure out what's important and uh, to focus on that and uh, not to chase everything. I say, it, you know, addition, additionally, um, you need to know yourself, your people, and your and your business. Um, uh, the compelling vision, clear goals, priorities. Um, try to figure out everybody fits into this and list everybody's uh, help and uh, 
And then, as I was mentioning earlier about training, equip your personnel, your staff, to be able to to get on board and and, and support your um, you know your goals. Act on facts and and make decisions. Um, and I think too often we wait for perfect information to make decisions, and it's just never the case. Or it's at that point it's too late. I think demonstrating the highest uh, standards of conduct, integrity, professionalism. You're always on stage uh, as a leader. One thing I learned from a former NOAA administrator was um, really the only thing you can control in life is how you spend your time, you know, and that's the only thing you actually control. And uh, his view was um, the tactical challenges you face can consume you you if you're not careful. And a a better way to look at it is maybe one-third of your time is spent on tactical issues, one-third on strategic, and one-third on the workforce. And sometimes I've taken my, you know, calendar, and it's pretty much filled from 7 in the morning to 7 at night, and taking three, you know, markers and color-coding, um, you know, how you actually spend your, 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 your time over the course of a week. And it's not an exact science, but um, if you find you're not focusing on strategic or you're not focusing on the workforce enough, then maybe see if you can kind of uh, change things. I guess lastly, i just say um, you got to be a constant learner sensitive to the culture and the amount of change the organization can take, but then take risks. I would say um, if you really want to learn about leadership is take the job that makes you the most uncomfortable. Take the job that you don't know the subject matter, that you don't know the people, because it will force you to actually then to lead and not uh, manage. What is DOJ's information technology strategy? We will ask its chief information officer, Joe Klimovich, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. What are the key IT priorities of the U.S. Department of Justice? How is the DOJ going from IT modernization to its transformation? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Joe Klimovitz, Chief Information Officer, U.S. Department of Justice. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Joe Klinovich, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Justice. Also joining our conversation from IBM is C.C. DeCamp. So, Joe, um, IT is critical to the success of uh, the DOJ's mission, executing DOJ's mission. And I'd like for you to give us an overview of your strategic vision for IT at DOJ. And more particularly, what are your priorities? So my vision is to uh, drive information and technology solutions at the pace of American innovation. I I think it would be a huge failure on my part if the attorney general could go to Best Buy and buy something better than what I'm providing. So beyond that, I mean, we want to be known as uh, wise uh, stewards of taxpayer dollars. So um, being frugal with our dollars and smart with our investments. We want to be bold enough to make a difference, adaptive, um, you know, because we're we're embracing and leveraging uh, the changing world. 
smart risk takers who experiment wisely with technology. And I do expect that as we experiment with technology, and I've seen this firsthand, we, we will expect some things to not uh, realize the benefits, the value that we, we expect, but that's part of um, taking risks. We want to be transparent and inclusive in uh, all of our operational financial priorities. Um, technology leaders whom people trust because we exceed expectations. We are in the process of uh, revising our strategic plan. Typically, those things have a shelf life of about three years. So in that, we've got four goals. Let me just kind of yeah, walk through them real quickly. Here's continuous service uh, delivery improvement. It's an ongoing thing and uh, something that's uh, you always want to focus on. Make sure you're, you're trying to do everything you can to uh, drive that end-to-end customer experience and provide tailorable services. So we, well, at the same time, we want to provide enterprise-wide we want the ter- services to be tailorable to the individual customer. We want to um, build intelligence and automation into standard processes. So much of today's, you you know, IT environment, you got to you got to react fast and almost at this you know real time because that just it, the systems just require that. Strengthen and forge uh, strategic relationships with our business partners. Um, I, I really mean business partners. Uh, they're they're every bit as critical uh, to uh, our success as our own in, you know, employees. We want to design and, and launch autonomous services to support mission-critical operations. Secondly is manage taxpayer funds wisely. Um, I, I think that uh, it, with an unlimited uh, uh, budget, you can provide great services, but here I'm trying to really focus on how do we uh, maximize the value from our, our budget. And we want to pursue cost savings through shared services and exercise spending authorities that, you know, really pave the way for efficient modern systems, strengthen the, the cost transparency, accountability, and performance, a huge amount of focus on leveraging economies of scale through strategic sourcing, uh, obviously partnering with other parts of the, of the government to do that. I guess lastly in this area is removing um, unnecessary layers of complexity and proprietary solutions open source standards-based solutions are ultimately going to be uh, more cost-effective. Third one is protecting the mission. We want to minimize the risk through continuous monitoring. We want to enhance our enterprise-wide incident response and cyber hunt capabilities, Mm -hmm. provide enterprise-wide identity, credential access management services uh, to ensure that the right users are accessing the right information um, and, and, you know, we have the right credentials in place. And I also think of uh, when you talk about protecting the mission, we've got to have plans in place for IT recovery, reconstitution, business continuity of our key operations. And finally is um, maximizing the mission uh, capabilities. And um, I like to think of my office as uh, full service, and that includes uh, more than just infrastructure, uh, really focusing on how do we uh, drive department-wide access and management of our, you know, smart data and realizing the potential of uh, dark or unused data, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of data that's collected for a one-time purpose and then um, essentially put on a shelf. And uh, I want to make sure that we're maximizing the utility from the information we have, improving operations and stakeholder experience incrementally through micro-innovations. Uh, micro-innovations or pilots or proof of concepts are a great way to bring in new technology see, you know, how easy it is to, to assimilate that into our operations. Can't talk about data without talking about uh, analytics and machine learning. We have tremendous amounts of information, um, a lot of it unstructured, and 
we're, we're constantly bringing in and evaluating new analytical tools. And I would say expanding uh, access uh, channels and optimizing for cloud and mobility. I mean, it's one thing to say that something can run in a cloud. It's, you know, all, you can say the same thing about mobility, that it, you can access it through mobile devices, but it's another to actually optimize services for both of those. And that's something that we're going to be really focusing on moving forward. I'd like to get right into it. You know, IT modernization is a key priority for the Trump administration. I'd like to explore your efforts in modernizing the infrastructure and systems at DOJ. Would you tell us more about your migration to the cloud? Uh, what are the benefits of the migration? And perhaps you could outline sort of the pre and post conditions um, and how, how the progress is going. You know, all the efforts that we're seeing um, – at the White House and, the, and from the Hill, really great to you know provide CIOs with the opportunity to address these challenges head on, and I really appreciate all the support we've been getting. I believe the centerpiece of our modernization efforts has, has to start with um, what we built out as a cloud-optimized uh, trusted internet connection service. So we essentially have um, a dual security stack, one going out to the regular internet and one going to our business partners uh, that are providing cloud services. This provides a secure direct access to our cloud service providers at very high speeds. You know, everything's fully redundant, very robust. And so if you're going to say cloud is everything, then, then you've got to build that access, that network access to your cloud uh, partners. Uh, we've also accelerated the adoption of uh, cloud email. Uh, we're moving very close to completing a move to every, for all of our offices to uh, Microsoft 365. Uh, it's a dedicated environment. Um, and when I, when I came to justice a, a little over four years ago, we had about 23 different email systems. Mm-hmm. We reduced that down to nine, and now we're very close to uh, getting that down to one. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're saving the department uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars annually uh, and at the same time facilitating cross-component collaboration because we're essentially on one platform. Um, the benefits of cloud, I'm sure you've, you know, these have been articulated many times before, but to me, it's unfettered, secure access across, uh, you know, all of your devices and locations. In Department of Justice, we have about 2,400 locations around the world where we, you know, we have folks uh, stationed need to provide access from all of these points. It also um, centralizes our infrastructure platform, so it allows users easier access to, to find information, to, you know, where is it housed, uh, to, to collaborate. You know, we can leverage the, the cloud infrastructure, um, reducing uh, unnecessary redundancy, and the automatic failover is something that's key. I mean, you look at the cloud platforms, there's redundancy, and, and all, you know, failover is just built into that. Operational efficiency, enhanced security, these are all things that are, are critical to supporting our core missions. Beyond the move to the cloud, and, and, and some of our key mission systems are also taking advantage of the cloud in a, in a hybrid mm-hmm. uh, implementation, but I'd like to highlight some of our law enforcement components um, and what they're doing. Um, within the FBI, the National Crime Information Center um, modernization is uh, delivering new search capabilities and name uh, matching algorithms to uh, a system that was deployed nearly uh, 20 years ago. We've... Uh, Made a lot of enhancements to the National Instant, instant uh, Background Check System, uh, NICS, enabling faster and more accurate uh, dissemination of gun purchase eligibility. 
we're modernizing our next generation identification infrastructure as well uh, to improve the response and biometrics analysis and identity confirmation. Uh, within the Marshal Service, they are um, well underway in terms of modernizing their case management system. Um, the program called Capture is replacing um, multiple end-of-life um, mm-hmm. services. This is really focused on custody management, prisoner transport, uh, fugitive case management. Again, huge um, uh, payoffs in terms of uh, enabling system-to-system interoperability and information sharing. Within our Executive Office of Immigration Review, they're also um, uh, updating and uh, modernizing their case management capabilities. Um, this is to, to enable immigration judges to reduce the backlog of immigration review cases. A lot going on. Well, that, that's really great to hear about uh, what's happening across the components and some of the successes already uh, and the sharing that's going on. Uh, just as a follow-up, uh, you know, as you look at the, uh, the cloud migration, any uh, critical key uh, challenges and opportunities that you faced uh, in that? And, and, me, and maybe more importantly, you know, any lessons learned, what lessons learned that you had uh, and, and any of the change management implica- implications of, of a cloud migration? Yeah, obviously, um, none of this is easy. Uh, <laughs> the uh, move to the cloud presents uh, um, several challenges. I'll, I'll just highlight, maybe highlight a couple. I think, as I mentioned earlier about uh, leadership, it's early communications with all stakeholders is vital. You know, the stakeholders must be aware of the outcomes, major milestones that are going to occur during the, the migration to the cloud. And I regularly meet with component CIOs to address these challenges, but I think you have to get that messaging beyond just the CIOs to the to the mission owners. Again, you can't communicate enough. I think um, enterprise security uh, is another key thing that has to be addressed. And the old days, you know, organizations could pretty much count on, you know, a well-defined security boundary, build that security boundary into your network, cloud services, and they provide a lot of flexibility. Um, but one of the things is that it really extends your security boundary uh, and requires kind of a different way of looking at security and the security model with different tools and skill sets. Current cloud breaches have been mostly due to poor configuration, lack of visibility, lack of knowledge of how to properly defend cloud environments. We're actually looking at a holistic cloud security infrastructure that uh, delivers that visibility and uh, responsive um, capability. I think um, if you're buying software as a service in a cloud environment, that's then the cloud provider should provide the you know entire security. But a lot of times we're just you know doing infrastructure or platform as a service. The industry partner is securing the infrastructure, but you still have to secure the application that's riding on that infrastructure. I would say another you know aspect is is the network. Um, your everything is remote by definition. Um, you need to make sure you've got sufficient bandwidth, not only for your, your for your current workload, but for your future data growth. Uh, so a robust and secure uh, network is absolutely critical uh, as you move to a, a cloud environment. I guess the, you know, probably the largest and most overlooked issue is, is the people. The mission owners can be reluctant to physically, you know, separate from their servers. Yes. Um, <laughs> seen that a few times. And um, this can take a lot of uh, reassurance and um, Again, it's just it's impossible to over-communicate, and you need to be sensitive to the human aspect of this. Some of the lessons learned, consistent priorities, 
Getting a pretty good inventory of what you have, that's, that's key. Um, developing a migration plan and schedule early on, even if you don't have all the details. Prioritizing the mission first. The mission uh, will always come first, and it must. Well, you know, and just to follow up there on the facilities and, and this infrastructure, uh, it's pretty, you know, can, over time can be pretty massive. And uh, can you discuss a little bit, your, you know, what's happening with the, your data set, uh, data center consolidation efforts and, uh, you know, kind of what's next there? Yeah, you can't talk about moving to the cloud without talking about what, what are you doing on-prem. On and mm-hmm. since 2010, we've made a lot, a lot of progress. I mean, we in 2010, we had 110 data centers. Uh, I know other agencies maybe had more, but um, that number is down to like 27, 28 maybe uh, today, maybe be less than that. And we just closed our uh, largest data center up in Rockville, Maryland, 91,000 square feet. Talk about uh, challenges. That uh, data center was uh, in continuous operation for the last 30 years. A lot of accumulated uh, complexities uh, provided a lot of services to most of our uh, components. We originally estimated that it was going to take five years and $25 million to close that data center. Uh, We actually did it in 18 months and $3.5 million saving a tremendous amount of money uh, annually. Uh, most of that went to that, that the systems and uh, databases and stuff went to the cloud. So we've closed a lot of data centers. Um, by the end of this fiscal year, we'll have reduced occupied data center space by 42% since uh, 2010. We're on track by the end of this fiscal year to uh, close another 10 data centers and um, accumulated a cost avoidance of $135 million. So um, it's a big deal. In the end, by end of 2019, um, we're anticipating being somewhere in the near area of three core data centers uh, for on-prem data and, and um, systems uh, with an accumulated um, savings, cost avoidance, uh, somewhere close to $200 million. So um, it's hard work, um, requires dedication. you got to stick to it, but uh, it does pay off. You know, uh, Joe, there's some that believe that IT modernization is not enough, and rather than simply modernizing their systems, agencies need to create a dynamic IT environment so that it can evolve to meet, you know, changing requirements. Um, Why is modernization not enough, and what are the implications of a digital transformation? Um, Modernization is really important for all the reasons we talk about, but if you only look at modernization, I think what you... You know, you're going to limit your gains in terms of performance and security. In the end, you're not going to be as efficient as you, you could be, need to be, especially in the years ahead. And I think, um, you know, the, the concept of transformation speaks to how do you adopt technologies and strategies that fundamentally shift how agencies do work. And really the last thing you want to do is not to just modernize the existing systems that you have in place with the same processes. And it's the old adage of uh, do your business process reengineer. Figure out how you would like to do business uh, if technology was not a uh, an impediment. And I think you also need to create a dynamic IT environment that can evolve, you know, as your enterprise does. Um, looking at the underlying infrastructure and, and service delivery model, I would start with a common strategy or one that guides the agency on, you know, where they make investments and how they make investments, but you really need to build in that flexibility because the way technology is going to change and the way you want to do business is going to change. 
key aspect of this is uh, your workforce, you know, creating a high-performance, high-performing, nimble workforce that can, you know, understand the technology, um, understand what is possible doing it. I mean, I think I think about things in terms of possibilities. What is possible versus um, because there's a lot of technology out there, and I think my experience is technology is never the impediment that prevents you from doing something, um, but you've also got to have that innovation and be creativity. How could technology enable uh, something that's, um, you know, a different way of doing business? And the workforce is, is key on that. And I think you got to make sure that you're you're focusing on um, you know, training and, re- and recruiting uh, talent that um, you know, has these capabilities to think about what's possible. And just one example I'll leave you with is 3D printing. I was out on the West Coast uh, a couple of weeks ago. It is amazing the progress that's been made in 3D printing. If you just think about, well, I'm just going to print, and you can print pretty much in any material you like today, and the size of some of these printers is unbelievable. But if you think about printing components and assembling the components the way you did in the 1920s when you were building a Model T, you'd be missing out on a huge opportunity of you can just print the end product, all assembled, and be done with it, skipping a lot of uh, intermediate steps. And um, so I'll leave you with that thought. Great. You, know, you mentioned you mentioned a couple of times the importance of cyber and the protection of the, the mission. Um, do you have anything else you want to share about cyber? Like, uh, for instance, um, uh, what about your efforts enhancing IT security across the enterprise and institutionalizing appropriate policies? And more importantly, what lessons have you learned either from other federal agencies or from the private sector in terms of data breach? Your last point there, we're, we're constantly uh, talking to other uh, agencies. Um, you know, what are they doing uh, in the private sector? I talk to leaders in the private sector every day. Within DOJ, though, um, you know, we're constantly trying to enhance our security posture uh, through one of continuous evaluation and improvement, uh, constantly assessing, um, you know, new uh, cyber detection and prevention technologies as, um, you know, as well as where we need to make uh, investments in, in, uh, in the IT itself to uh, make sure it's secure. You know, another technology enhancements would be meaningful without uh, thoughtful policy to sh- shape their usage. Everything starts with looking at the business needs. Um, one of the most secure ways you can you can operate is to not allow people to do much. And that, of course, is not an option. Um, we need to enable the the mission. So um, it's a balancing act, I think. Um, strengthening our identity, credential, and access management program is one that we put a lot of uh, thought into uh, lately and one that we need to continue uh, doing that. We're this year, we're, we're rolling out our um, enterprise digital identity for each person working at the department. This will eliminate the creation of duplicative um, identities uh, when uh, one individual moves from offices. So we, you know, we have a lot of people that move around within there. We're also leveraging DHS's uh, diagnostics and mitigation uh, CDM tools to enhance our capabilities in this area. Working with our on the identity management, uh, we're deploying a privileged access uh, manager across the department uh, to enforce uh, multiple factor um, authentication and uh, and least privilege uh, to really want to want to try to eliminate passwords to the mm-hmm. maximum extent uh, possible. Um, and then I I think um, just being able to quickly detect and respond to breaches. Um, and I'll just come back. You know, to close with the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an area that is is critical from my perspective. Uh, 
to, to really providing good cybersecurity is you've got to have the right workforce. How is DOJ changing the way it does IT? We will ask Joe Klimovich, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Justice, when our conversation continues on the Business So Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Teagan, your host, and our guest today is Joe Klimovich, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Justice. Also joining our conversation from IBM is C.C. DeCamp. So, you know, uh, Joe, exceeding uh, customer expectations is a key priority for you. And would you tell us more about your efforts in this area? And where I'm going is how do you anticipate the technology needs of your customers? um, And how do you work with them to identify better ways to use technologies that can help them meet their missions? Yeah, I think uh, our customers um, operate in a very demanding 24 by 7 uh, environment. And as I said earlier, I think they're their expectation that IT is always uh, on just like utilities, right? And ISO 20000 certification is one way to enhance our ability to deliver those uh, uh, services uh, 24 by 7. But we also monitor the delivery of services, enterprise IT services and customer satisfaction measures Based on customer feedback, um, solutions are either improved, maintained, or retired. Um, and I'm not opposed to retiring services at all that uh, are no longer at the cutting edge. Users have real-time views into the performance of the enterprise services through monitoring and end-user feedback. I'm a big believer in the transparency. And um, I think one thing that's key, and we started this before the ISO 20000 uh, certification, but is this whole concept of business relationship management. This practice allows uh, my office to get direct, immediate feedback from the customer to help uh, better better serve their needs and support their mission. Our um, business relationship managers are, you know, they're, they've gone through a training and a certification uh, program. You know, we're out there trying to make sure that we understand what the customer's needs are before they actually have to, you know, ask somebody about it and so on. So we're trying to anticipate what their needs are. The The other thing I think is, as you say, technology shouldn't go down, shouldn't break, is you know, then you move into this role of how do you help your customers actually envision how they can use the technology to improve their productivity. And uh, I guess lastly, you know, when I came on board uh, into DOJ, I personally went around and met with our customers one-on-one, and I continue doing that every six months and hearing firsthand, sometimes in a smaller one-on-one kind of setting, you'll get to uh, 
a different feedback than you would in a bigger oh, setting. <clears throat> I believe that direct and regular communications and, and engagement with the stakeholders and customers is really key. Uh, Joe, technical diversity leads to higher maintenance costs. What have you done to strengthen the department's IT capital investment process to assure that the investment decisions are mission-aligned and, and cost-justified? I established a department investment review council to um, you know, ensure that we had the right oversight and risk reduction um, and executive assistance for the department's high-visibility um, mission-supporting IT investments. Our council um, reviews about 12 uh, investments uh, or programs each year, and we currently have no, um, you know, major investment at risk. We also instituted uh, twice monthly internal program reviews with each of my staff directors, kind of, uh, you know, speed dating for executive uh, IT oversight. Many questions are asked uh, from uh, both technical and business perspective. You know, bringing everybody together and and not as a kind of a got you kind of thing, but as maybe helping people. Did you think about this or where where is this and you know, really thinking about long lead items. The outcome has been much tighter coordination and shortening timelines for resolving project challenges. You know, you don't want to go after somebody if they bring you a problem, but uh, actually try to help them resolve that problem before it becomes uh, something, you know, it's hard to deal with. We've also developed the department's first uh, technical reference architecture as a critical step in cost and process control for the uh, evaluating our, our investments. And Establishing a consolidated view of IT standards from a, a corporate or enterprise level, as we make in, you know investments, um, actually just putting it all down in one place. These are the decisions we've made in terms of the technology and how it comes together. And lastly, is with my uh, acquisition review obligations, and we do over forty thousand contract actions a year, so it's it's a pretty big business. But I have an IT acquisition review board, um, includes subject matter experts from cyber enterprise architecture, engineering, acquisition, and management. And, you know, with each acquisition, it's reviewed from the context of best practice compliance and whether it adheres to the principles set forward in the TRA. So it's, we've got a pretty good process to make sure things deliver value. You know, Joe, shared services and shared technologies are a, are a way to eliminate uh, duplicative solutions for mission support and commodity IT. Uh, would you tell us uh, more about your department-wide efforts around pursuing shared services and technology and the benefits derived from that effort? Well, I've been a huge supporter of and, and um, leader in the shared services uh, area in the federal government. I think it, um, you know, my opinion, shared services is how the federal government can um, really leverage our people, our processes, technology to function as one, uh, serving the public. Shared services are not new, uh, but I think they're, in, you know, increasingly important as a way to reduce waste and improve performance. With the, the modernization emphasis that we've seen across the federal space, uh, shared services is a great me mechanism way for agencies to um, both modernize but op also optimize uh, services. And I will tell people if you, if you can just go buy it from somebody else, and that applies in my organization as well, just you know, use somebody else's service. They've already gone through the trouble of... Uh, engineering it and setting it up, and um, you can actually make sure it's uh, delivering value. You know, these shared services uh, provide additional functionality and capability, eliminate unnecessary duplication. Everybody doesn't have to build the same thing, especially true around infrastructure. Maintenance costs go down. Internally, within DOJ, we've got a, a, a robust uh, uh, CIO council, and we've got a committee that is focused on um, 
developing uh, preferred shared solutions and services for the department. So we've got you know, one organization that's uh, shared that's actually our, our committees are essentially a tri-chair. Uh, one of my staff directors, a large component CIO and a small component CIO will tri-chair these committees. So, you know, we're really moving to that shared service environment where um, uh, we're taking advantage of best-in-class service providers. Leadership, engagement, sponsorship um, uh, with authority and accountability is necessary for shared services to be successful. And, um, of course, it goes probably without saying, but good project management uh, to ensure performance and deadlines and keeping the project within budget, absolutely essential. So there have been great strides in information sharing, and I think we can agree there's more that can be done. Um, would you talk a little bit about uh, your efforts to expand information sharing, um, how you're driving collaboration internally, and with that broader law enforcement community that you were just speaking of, uh, what's what's being done with, with that community in particular to develop and use uh, information sharing standards? You're, you're absolutely right, Um uh... I think sometimes CIOs can forget or they forget the middle name in their title is information and, and you focus more on the technology side. Um, I think a lot of that is because technology is somewhat easier to fo- you know to get some traction on than, than information and information sharing. So we're in the process of, uh, and we'll have it out by the end of this fiscal year, um, an information management access and uh, sharing uh, strategic plan. So really focusing on as a as a first step on how do we optimize the value and the power of information across the department, eliminating unnecessary duplication, reducing complexity, and promoting interoperability? It's going to focus on you know, three areas, um, uh, identity management, data management, and interoperability. Ultimately, you know, our IT systems exist to provide users with the right information when they need it. And you know, I think um, this kind of strategy is, is well over, you know, overdue. It will be the first step. It won't solve everything, won't address everything, but it will be essentially show that we're committed to uh, managing our information holistically. Today, a lot of it exists in in silos, um, and you need to think about information has value, and we want to manage it holistically. Well, you know, uh, we live in a very mobile world. You touched uh, briefly uh, on uh, the mobile devices for your team, for your for your workforce. Um, what are you doing to leverage mobility solutions to meet the evolving mission uh, of the department? Uh, how and in what areas are you expanding enterprise mobile services? Well, the uh, last time, I, if I seem to recall, that we had about 85,000 mobile devices across the department, not counting all of our mobile radios. The workforce is is already very mobile, and um, that's not going to change. Our law enforcement and other staffs are deployed. They, they're they not sitting in the office. They can all benefit from you know new uh, mobile solutions. For field users, we uh, have and will continue to deploy mobile solutions which directly support our law enforcement missions. More advanced and pervasive uh, mobile devices um, allow these capabilities to continue to be improved. FirstNet is is a good example. Um, you know, some uh, field st- staff and some components are piloting FirstNet phones, and they've seen uh, significant benefits from that. We're going to continue, um, you know, working in that environment, um, making sure that our uh, law enforcement officers have um, and agents have access to uh, those capabilities. For headquarters and other personnel, mobile solutions improve productivity. Um, we talk about access to email and collaboration tools, making it really easy. Basically, anything you can do from your desktop or your office environment. And 
more and more everything's going to laptops anyhow, uh, even within an office environment. But we want to make sure that um, everything's optimized for mobility. We're also looking at new ways to authenticate and um, authorize and encrypt workflows out to these uh, mobile devices. We're in the early stages in, of looking at uh, building a zero-trust uh, environment. And um, when you talk about zero-trust, you're talking about some kind of unique combination of uh, data and, and uh, device and behavioral metrics to identify the user device, come up with a scoring algorithm as to and do we, do we really trust the person um, and we're really going to allow them access to this either service or, or data. And, um, you know, that's, again, needs to be optimized for uh, mobility. I'd say overall we're, you know, we're modernizing our technology, um, looking to improve our interfaces, fully embrace mobility. There's a lot of things that you have to layer on top of that. How has the role of chief information officer changed in federal departments? We will ask Joe Klimovich, chief information officer at the U.S. Department of Justice, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. What are the key IT priorities of the U.S. Department of Justice? How is the DOJ going from IT modernization to its transformation? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Joe Klimovitz, Chief Information Officer, U.S. Department of Justice. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Joe Klinovich, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Justice. Also joining our conversation from IBM is CeCe DeCamp. Uh, Joe, would you elaborate on your approach to empowering your employees and driving change within your teams? What actions are you taking to build a, a future-ready workforce at uh, DOJ? Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the technology is changing so rapidly, um, and uh, it does require um, uh, agile, skilled workforce that can, um, you know, can deploy against a lot of different uh, technologies um, now and in the, in the future. And they really need to be able to keep pace with the uh, pace that we're seeing in, in you know, industry. Um, I think um, we, we, we've been talking about this for a number of years, about a big wave of, of retirement. I think when I look at the metrics, um, we've got uh, a large percentage of our IT workforce, you know, can retire. They typically don't retire when they can. I'm very appreciative of that. But I think succession planning is is something that you always have to be uh, thinking about. I think uh, from a strategy perspective, um, continuous uh, learning. Um, I mentioned earlier that you know you have to be a continuous learner in this uh, business. Otherwise, your skills become stale very quickly. Um, and we've got to incorporate um, you know knowledge as, as we develop it in, into our uh, processes and into our management practices. Um, you know, I recently um, 
went out to uh, Silicon Valley and uh, I get out there a couple of times a year, be with uh, IT leaders out there, and um, yeah, we identified some some opportunities for pilot projects, um, and and a number of them were around training. How can we actually uh, train our workforce faster, um, better? Um, you know, there's there's some um, concepts out there now about the, these nano degrees and. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look back at uh, my uh, my training in my first computer science class was in high school in the early 70s, and we were using punch tape long before punch cards. <laughs> you know, college, we graduated punch cards. If you're not continuously learning and refreshing your skills, you know, you're going to be left behind. And um, I think we've got we've to, even if we bring in the greatest uh, talent in the world, we've, they've got to constantly be have access to... Um, and reaffirm their their mastery of you know skills and uh, understand what's going on out there. I think the other piece would be retaining and acquiring uh, top talent. Um, you know, we um, especially in cyber, it's a it's a very uh, in demand uh, profession, and um, you know the government doesn't necessarily pay the highest salaries, so we're at a bit of a disadvantage. Um, but um, you know the government's mission uh, is really compelling. Uh, and so we've got to we've got to emphasize the mission capabilities and, and and the breadth that you can be exposed to and and learn from. And then if you want to go out to the private sector, uh, that's great. But then please come back at some other later date. Um, you know I think I'm I'm as flexible as anybody in terms of work arrangements, uh, tuition reimbursement, uh, using any direct hire authorities that we might have, and just exploring any, any possible way to bring somebody in. Um, in the end, the, the overall pack, you know, compensation package is probably not, you know, going to be the same as it might get in the industry. But I'm, uh, and what I've seen is that, um, you know, we have a number of dedicated individuals that uh, stay because of the mission. So, you know, Joe, how are you leveraging partnerships and collaborations to improve operations, achieve program outcomes, and uh, mission execution? And more importantly, how can strategic relationships between the agency CFO and CIO be leveraged? Well, obviously, um, it's hard to do anything by yourself in in these jobs. Um, So collaboration is is key. I think I look at collaboration, you know, multifaceted is that – First, with with the private sector, uh, in a lot of cases, they've already been there, done that, and um, I, I want to make sure that I understand what they're doing. And I got to say that uh, uh, private sector leaders, industry leaders, have been great in terms of sharing uh, what they're doing. And um, but I make it a point to to get out um, to uh, have an open door policy. You know, essentially. Um, meeting with leaders, and I encourage my staff to do the same thing. Um, the good thing about having CIO as a title is every corporation has one, too. And um, it's, uh, I don't know whether it's the world's largest support group or not, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, you can share what's worked in your environment, and, and you'll find that other people have this a lot of the same challenges. Um, within DOJ, um, we're closely not only with the CFO, but the Chief Human Capital Officer, the Chief Acquisition or Chief Procurement Officer. It's, you can, like I said, you can't do uh, this job by yourself. You're very dependent on each other. Uh, fortunately, within DOJ, um, all the CXOs um, sit on the same floor of the main justice building, and we all report to the same Assistant Attorney General for Administration. Mm-hmm. 
So um, we we talk a lot. Um, we have uh, twice meetings, staff twice week staff meetings to discuss hot items and issues that impact all of us. And um, you know, again, um, it's about um, understanding um, and building that trust. Um, you know, to work um, on on key areas and in full transparency. Right. Um, my view of trust is. Um, uh, telling people what you're going to do and then actually doing it. And then they, if you just do random good things and they go, that's great, but it doesn't build trust. Um, you know, I think um, one of the biggest uh, challenges you typically have in the CIO, CFO relationship is the governance and portfolio management. Uh, in this area, you know, I've, I have a seat at uh, all, the, all the tables, all the, all the meetings. It's <laughs> um, what leads to the long days sometimes, but uh, to ensure that... Um, you know, IT, the goals, architectures, priorities, the investments are uh, aligned um, with the CFO and the budget process. You know, together, um, that's what leads to improvements in this area. Joe, the role of the CIO in national security has changed drastically over the past two decades. Would you tell us more about how the role has evolved and, and what are the characteristics of a successful CIO in today's environment? Um in terms of characteristics, I, I think a CEO, you know, has to be a bit of a risk taker, has to be an innovator, uh, yet to value the workforce, um, results driven, uh, and have a strategic vision and, um, you know, be able to articulate that strategic vision uh, well. You know, as technology evolves, the role of the CIO has obviously evolved with it. Um, but what I've seen is, um, you know, it used to be that you you provisioned servers, you configured servers, you, you know, everything was down the hall. And, um, and today, you're, you're much more of a buyer or a broker of services. So you have to be able to, uh, you know, think, think big and um, uh, understand what's, what's out there, what's possible. Um, you know, I think um, no CIO should be thinking first about uh, uh, buying and owning servers. So, and I, whether it be anything, you know, other types of IT, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, and if you can leverage buy, um, that is a much better way to go. It's faster. It's going to be cheaper in the end. And uh, your customers will appreciate it as well. I think, you know, you, what you've got to do is now be a good, smart buyer of these services, uh, maybe some different skill sets than, than just uh, understanding how to configure uh, technology. Um, I think... Um, you know, as a role of the CIO shifts to more of a strategic advisor, um, the CIO needs to be a, a strategic partner with the mission leaders um, and helping them realize what's possible with technology and information um, and how it can be best used in their environment. Mm -hmm. So, Joe, turning to the future, um, what do you see as your highest priority over the next couple of years? And more importantly, what do you want to achieve in the next two years or so? Well, my vision for the future is to deliver uh, – high-quality, standard, agile uh, capabilities as part of a broader uh, service-based model. Um, you know, I think um, uh, a lot of this will come together in our, our core data centers, but will also be a hybrid environment working um, in commercial um, <clears throat> compute and cloud environments. Um, again, um, want to yield not only, um, you know, better services, but Scalability is, is key. Flexibility, uh, accessibility, um, uh, economies of scale. I mean, just faster implementation is going to be key. Streamlining 
procurement. Uh, sometimes the procurement process can be a bit uh, onerous. Uh, that's going to be you know key as we and I think, but again through buying and using, leveraging somebody else's services, they've already gone through a lot of that. I think there's still opportunities to further share uh, standards and data, you know, with data sharing, especially around you know big data and analytics. Uh, so it's not just about the technology. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, around the network, I think, um, you know, we're going to end up building some very high-speed, high-capacity networks, um, you know, to support these future needs. Uh, it seems like, you know, the sooner than you enhance the network, uh, it gets filled up. I think a lot of, a lot of progress will be made, needs to be made around um, uh, identity management and how we we manage identities. And then I think um, we have basically un- unimagined uh, capabilities around machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, artificial reality, virtual reality, quantum, and neurocomputing, uh, just to mention a few. So um, it's a very exciting time. Um, looking forward to it. Uh, I don't see any end in sight. And, you know. <laughs> Before we close today, I want to get your advice. What, what advice would you give someone who is potentially thinking about a career in public service? Um, I would highly encourage a career in public service. Um, it's uh, For me, it's been very rewarding. Um, you can have great influence uh, uh, on, on things that are very important, um, you know, nationally, internationally. The country needs uh, uh, great public servants and, uh, you know, I'd say to say the decisions that you make um, can impact uh, our citizens every day, and um, it's it's important that uh, we're not only buying the right technology but um, delivering it in a cost-effective manner. Um, and you know the the things you can do and, and the things you can see, the things you can influence on the federal side is unbelievable. Um, and so we just I would encourage anybody that's interested in a you know, public uh, career or even even just doing it for a couple of years, uh, please give it a try. Joe, it's um, always great to have you in. Thanks for coming by again. Uh, but more importantly, uh, Cece and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Well, thanks, Michael and Cece. I appreciate being on here, and uh, thanks again. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Joe Klimovich, Deputy Assistant Attorney General and Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Justice. My co-host from IBM has been Cece DeCamp. Be sure to join me next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org.